Hello everyone, Kit Knightley from Off Guardian here and welcome to our panel discussion, Russia and the Great Reset, Resistance or Complicity. Is the war in Ukraine an extension of the Great Reset? Are Russia and indeed China opposed to glo the globalist agenda or are taking an active part in it? These are important questions and ones that are currently dividing the world of independent media. And today we're going to have an open debate and hopefully find a little common ground. And with that, I'll hand over to Whitney Webb, our co-host and co-moderator from unlimitedhangout.com. Hey there. Yes, I am Whitney Webb. Thanks, Kit. Uh, so I'll be introducing our panelists today. Um, our first panelist is Tom Luongo. Tom is a political commentator and analyst who hosts the Gold, Goats, and Guns blog and podcast, uh, which is frequently republished by sites like Zero Hedge. He is also the editor of Newsmax's Ultimate Wealth Report. His website can be found at tomluongo.me. Uh, our next panelist is Riley Wagaman. Riley is an American journalist based in Moscow, and he has previously worked for RT, Press TV, and Russia Insider. He currently writes about Russia with a special focus on COVID-related issues at his substack, Edward Slavsquat, which you can find at edwardslavsquat.substack.com. Our next panelist is Matthew Arrett. Matthew is the editor-in-chief of the Canadian Patriot Review, a contributor to the media outlet Strategic Culture, and a senior fellow at the American University in Moscow. He is a contributor to Unlimited Hangout and also the author of the books The Untold History of Canada and Clash of the Two Americas. You can read his writings at canadianpatriot.org or matterit.substack.com. And uh, last but not least... Uh, Ian Davis. Ian is an independent investigative journalist, blogger, and author from Portsmouth, UK. He is a contributor to UK Column and Unlimited Hangout. His work is often featured by Off Guardian, The Corvette Report, and Zero Hedge, among others. And he also has his own website, In This Together, which you can find at in-this-together.com. All right. Now with everyone introduced, uh, the first thing we wanted to do briefly uh, was established what we mean by uh, the Great Reset and some of these uh, words that were uh, th these terms um, that are really important to the content uh, to this discussion. Since we're basically talking about whether or not uh, Russia uh, is uh, what their relationship to the Great Reset is, um, so um, I think it's helpful to sort of define what that is. Uh, I guess I'll start off with how I sort of view. Um, the Great Reset. So the Great Reset uh, was announced in uh, the first couple months of the COVID-19 uh, uh, event um, and basically uh, posited using the COVID-19 event as a catalyst to push through a bunch of uh, policy uh, agendas, most of which center around uh, the fourth industrial revolution and those technologies uh, and, and look to uh, broadly digitize, um, you know, pretty much every sector uh, of the economy and our lives uh, for the purpose of top-down uh, technocratic control. Um, so that's how I view the Great Reset, but it's, I think it would be helpful if we get a brief um, definition from each of our panelists so we sort of have an idea of uh, what we all think the Great Reset is. And then from that, uh, we'll give each panelist um, uh, about... Uh, a brief amount of time to basically define uh, their position as to Russia's relationship with uh, the Great Reset, if that's okay. So, I'll I'll say my two cents, like just mm -hmm. a quick two minute thing. Well, uh, for, first we're define if you want yeah, to add to or agree with my definition of the Great Reset. So we have. I, uh, I would add to that. Um, and my my idea would be that um, I would agree to what you said, but I would take it a, a little bit uh, further back. And I would say that in my analysis, 
the current thing that's come to be known as Great Reset finds its origins more in the um, the document, the founding document of UNESCO at the end of World War II in 1946 by Sir Julian Huxley, the guy who uh, became the president of the British Eugenic Society, where he called for taking eugenics as sort of the queen of all sciences that became distasteful and unthinkable after Hitler failed, and to rewire it and retool it in the post-war age uh, to make the unthinkable become thinkable. And in that, he calls for getting society focusing on the young baby boomer generation being born after World War II to um, accept the, the necessity of world governments to transcend the idea of nation states, uh, the, transcend the idea of traditional values, traditional ideas of connection to your nation state uh, as something that is bigger than yourself. And this is the same guy who goes on to found transhumanism as a term in 1954. He's the guy who creates things like uh, the World Wildlife Fund with, uh, for uh, nature in 1961 with Prince Philip, the guy who had just created the, the Bilderberger Group in, just a few years earlier. Um, and the whole idea, I think, was cutting off like, like what uh, Huxley's um, friend and colleague who founded the World Health Organization, uh, G. Brock Kisholm, stated that the ultimate, uh, to cure society of its, the causes of, of overall mental illness and war, which Kisholm says explicitly is the uh, belief, the, the belief in family, uh, nationalism, and traditional religions, which he says in 1946, just as he's founding the World Health Organization. So right. I think when you go back to these ideas, uh, the, the effects of the movements that the institutions that were put in online by Huxley, by Kissholm, which have as a directive to reduce industrial civilization, change our values from being eliminating poverty, getting people uh, liberated from imperialism into protecting nature from, from humankind, which is defined as a virus, always destructive, and cutting off the traditional cultural values. I think those are the things that get us at the heart of great okay. reset uh, yeah well i i just meant you know the, the 2020 thing is when that term really came into uh the great reset itself came into public view it definitely has um you know origins that go back several decades prior as you pointed out um but based on what you uh just said then to the definition that i i laid out then you would want to add um i guess uh global governance um global and governance. Uh, eugenics Yes. A new eugenics and a reduction of industrial civilization so that you could you no longer support uh, the lives of 8 billion or more people with uh, a deindustrialized society of post-national post deindustrialized society. I can add to that slightly. Um, what I'll say is I agree with Matt's uh, assessment, uh, let's just put it this way. It, it's about who's actually going to wind up in control. Okay. It's not about the, it's very clear that this is coming from a, um, a particular organization and a particular group of people. And they, they would be centered around the world economic forum. They would be what I call the Davos crowd. They are not eugenicists anymore. I don't believe, I believe they're disgenicists, meaning they actually want to roll us backwards at a from a, a from a, a genetic perspective they don't want to the, you know eugenics has this idea that it, it should improve man we're going to cull the weak right this is what i right. do as a goat farmer and well, what well, they're doing the is name. actually making it they're actually trying to make us they're actually trying to dumb us down and make it worse and then pass off the dumb jobs make us make us and, and destroy culture that way by mixing everything together so I, i'm just i think it's very important that we kind of remind ourselves that that's what they're because they they honestly think i think that that's what they want and that 
it ties into the fundamental inherent racism I see as part of the World Economic Forum's agenda. Okay. And when you do that, then you realize what the hierarchy is. Because my definition of the Great Reset is that this leaves European Europe in charge of all the other vassal states and all the other areas of the world as vassals to the uh, to uh, to them. And and it's an extension of the last 350 or 400 years of European colonialism. Okay. Uh, And that's the way I see it. So mm -hmm. No, it's fine. So while eugenics has that name that implies it's an improvement, if you look Mm -hmm. at, you know, eugenics over eugenesis over the years, there has been sort of this idea of like an underclass, uh, I think H.G. Wells. Sure. Who I knew uh, Matt Matt's work has touched on uh, a sure. lot. Had, had it was a eugenicist guy, a Fabian, and had this idea that there should there would eventually be a a forking of humanity, like the genetically elite group, and then like the goblin like working class yeah. <laughs> or whatever. Well, they want us all to be just just higher than the goblin like working. Right. Class. Well, it's sort of like That's- the stratification you see in Brave New World for people that yeah. are familiar of the alphas and the betas and all of that stuff. So, yep. okay. So, um I guess we're clear on how Tom and Matthew feel, Rylenian. Is there anything you'd like to add um yeah, to sort I mean, of these topics? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think it's very much about transformation. So, I think it's about transforming and, and there's a distinct economic aspect to it as well. So it's not just about transforming uh, the global economy. It's very much about transforming the global economy, but it's also about transforming us uh, as individuals and transforming us within the within within the new economic uh, paradigm that it that it intends to create. And it's a uh, and it's based upon the idea of pushing forward uh, sustainable development in as, as a control system rather than as a solution. So uh, I, I think that it's important to add the economic aspect of what the Great Reset is, is about. Right. Mm-hmm. Definitely in a major economic shift. Riley, is there anything you'd like to add? or? Uh... I, liked, I liked your definition. I'm going with you. I'm voting for you, Whitney. Oh, all right. I say we stick with what you had. Well, I had pretty a pretty bare definition. I, you know, I think that definition misses all the nuance. I think that's where all the disagreement yeah. comes from. And I think that that disagreement fundamentally, and I'll be honest with you, I'll stick my position right now. I think that disagreement is being driven by the very people that we're worried about. And that we're going to have a panel today about a, 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 a situation that we shouldn't even be discussing. And I'm, I'm serious when I say this. But I'm happy to be well, part of that. And because I do think that it's that we have thousands of data points which say that, you know, the WEF hates Putin. And we have a couple of data points that support the other side. Of it. And it just doesn't make, make, any, make any sense to me. And we don't have okay. a lot of time to be arguing this. But well, let, well let's take a couple of well, hours today you're, you're to, here, go, Tom, to go through that. So uh, since you did start, um, why don't <laughs> you can uh, throw out some of the, the data points in support of uh, sure. your argument for um, – uh, I guess so about two minutes, if that's sure. okay. Sure. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll do my best. So let's, let's, I, I run, I, I do, what I do is, is, um, I'm not a historian, all right? I am a market analyst. I'm, and, and a reader of the tea leaves. And the tea leaves are very simple to me. And I use a couple of very important heuristics in, in politics. One, you know, a guy, you know, a guy's uh, position in politics, you, you know, who his friends are and you know who his enemies are. Okay, so is Putin a member of the W? Is a Putin's past association with the WEF still valid? No, they hate it. It's very simple. It's the same thing with 
Donald Trump, it's the same thing with Hillary Clinton. Uh, not Hillary. It's the same thing with Hillary Clinton. They all love her, so therefore she's a member. It's like it's not a difficult heuristic with these people because they're both very smart but not very clever. Okay. The second heuristic is ultimately, um, who you know what is their stated objectives, and we can spend a lot of time, um looking at their objectives and their stated objectives and whether achieving them or not. I've been watching Russia from a cultural perspective. And again, I brought the cultural aspects of this up early on because I want you to, because it's important to see it from that perspective. You know, you've got how many reports of how many churches are being built in Russia, how, and while they're actively destroying culture and every aspect of what is good about American culture, what was previously thought of as good American culture here in the United States. We've got the, 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 the coming canceling of Disney by the right, for example, here in the United States is going to be a backlash against these people trying to destroy, trying to even destroy everything that Disney owns. Okay. Same. So when you when you parse it from that perspective and you listen to what Putin has said and has had and has said to Klaus Schwab's face at Davos, I, I think it's and then he, you see his actions and how he backs those things up. It's very clear that he's not on board with their agenda. Now, have they used what they know to be his reactions? If they push him to the to do these things on the chessboard, will he react in this way? And then therefore they can use that to their advantage, or at least they think so? Absolutely. Can we conflate those two things into, into mistaking manipulation for intent? Absolutely. And I think that's where we are today. I think it's very important that we've kind of we're losing the forest for the trees here because there's so much data and there's so much mal, mis, and disinformation coming from the intelligence agencies to put a, push us into a position where we're all we've all lost our minds. I mean, and rightly so because we we are all worried about them pushing us to a potential nuclear war. So it's really not hard to see how it's easy to get lost in the fugue of information overload. Okay, and then um, taking and then taking it from there. Okay, that's so that's about uh, two minutes then. So on the same side of the argument as you is Matthew. So I guess I'll have him go and then have Ian and Riley um, state how they feel. And then okay. we'll uh, discuss. <laughs> right, okay. and then we'll discuss. Um, yeah, I, I, I would, uh, <clears throat> I do think it's important to take full, of, as as full of a, a spectrum of context as possible. And, and uh uh, I'm not a market analyst. I, I do look at things from a bit more of a historical uh, standpoint. Um, as you, your guest probably intimated uh, people listening by how I started, uh, my mind went to 1945. Um, but I think that looking at the current breakdown, this is not something that was unforeseeable. And, and in fact, I think that it was very much built into what was created in 1971 when uh, Klaus Schwab was induced as a little uh, puppet manager by Kissinger and others who are a little bit higher up in the echelons to put online a, a sort of junior partner to the Bilderberger group. Um, and at the same time as that was happening, you had a, a separation of the dollar from the, the fixed exchange rate gold reserve system in the US by Kissinger, Schultz and others by the Trilateral Commission coming online. And at the same time as that was happening, you had the Club of Rome being brought in um, and their computer models that would use for the first time uh, linear equations to justify carrying capacity of human beings on the earth. That was being brought into the world economic form very early on. Alexander King, Klaus, you know, uh, Aurelio Pichai, others of, uh, of a certain eugenics bent um, who 
essentially put into motion something that transformed a, a genuinely industrial capitalist long-term thinking economy. There were problems to it before 1971, obviously, but we had an, an, a metric that tied value to physical production and building things. So you couldn't just make money out of thin air. You had to justify it with an increased pr power of productivity before 1971. Afterwards, a new sort of logic was put into motion that turned our economy into an atrophying post-industrial cult time bomb of increasing rates of bubble and, and fictitious capital built on fictitious capital using ever-increasing rates of unpayable uh, debts that really skyrocketed after Alan Greenspan, another prodigy, well, I mean, anyway, normalized derivatives, right? Which is today the time bomb of time bombs economically, um, which could be blown just as easily as the 1929 bubbles were blown that induced a, a massive wealth transfer in a form of a, an attempted great reset back in 1929 um, and a controlled demolition of the economy back then. It didn't work out back then. However, I think now they're trying to correct certain mistakes that they think that they made. And uh, now we're facing that time bomb erupting and there's a fight over what the new operating system will be. And there will be a new system. The question is what will be the general framework and paradigm in which certain technologies, certain uh ideas of economic value, uh, security, other things are operating. And there's, I believe, a, a real serious battle between these two different opposing views of the way the new system will be. And, and that's how I'm looking at the current configuration of the multipolar Russia, China, Iran uh, orientation versus the unipolar cage of depopulation, deindustrialization, and uh, dehumanism um, of the Klaus Schwab, you know, golden collar <laughs> Davos clique in the West. Okay. Um, great stuff. So, uh, Riley, Ian, uh, which, uh, do you have a preference about who, uh, goes first for opening? No, statements? I don't, I don't mind going first if that's all right with Riley. Um, yeah, I mean, um, so what, it, it, going back to what we were talking about right at the beginning, what is the great reset? What is it about? Well, it's, you know, it's all the things that we said, it's about introducing this new kind of, of fourth industrial revolution based technocracy. Um, and if you look at what Russia and you have to say China are doing together at the moment, there is no difference between what Russia and China are doing and what the, 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 the Western Schwabian uh, unipolar world order. And I agree with, with much of what Matthew said, you know, there, but what I would say is that the clash between the unipolar G7 based world order, for want of a better expression, and the G20 based multipolar world order suggested by um, Putin and Xi Jinping in their joint statement a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, um, is 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 definitely two two models that are vying for supremacy, but they're vying for supremacy within one system. There's only one system on offer and both Russia and China. In fact, I would, I would go further. I would say that China is the model for the new system and Russia are very closely partnership partnering with China on, on the rollout of this global model. And it's a model for global governance. So I think what we are seeing in uh, the clash between the, the, or the supposed clash, and I'm starting to doubt very much um, to what extent this is, I mean, I could go full bore tinfoil hat here because it's looking to me like the West is self-destructing 
Um, and I mean, I, I can't see that, that the moment that sanctions are going to Russia looks like it's it's looking increasingly like Russia are going to be able to circumnavigate the sanctions quite easily. Um, you know, what are we looking at? We are looking at a realignment of power. And where does that, and if we go back, we don't have to go back very far. We can go back to the Trilateral Commission. We can go back to the comments of people like Soros, and we can go back to the Council on Foreign Relations and the Bilderberg Group, who have all been talking about this eastward shift in power for the last 30 years, 40 years. And now we are, and now we are seeing it. We're seeing the thing that they've been talking about all this time. And there's, you know, Russia are fully on board with central bank digital currency, which is a key element of 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 um, what we are, what we're we're going to going to suffer in terms of a technocracy. Fully on board with the fourth industrial revolution. If we look at how the how the um, Russia and China managed the COVID nineteen pseudo pandemic, which um, it, they were leading on it. They, they, the, the Russia of and China were were as 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 draconian as any any nation could be in terms of how they managed that that fake pandemic. Then we've got um, the fact that they that both China, uh, the world's first, arguably the world's first technate, China are the the model that are. That have been supported by the West. It's been the West has been helping develop that model uh, for the last forty years. Has been pumping, you know, foreign direct investment. Has been supporting that and creating China to to be where it is today. And that shift in power, that power struggle. And I, the one thing that I would say in response to what Matthew said was, you know, it doesn't have to be either or. There, I think we we there is a danger that we can think that because there's this power struggle ongoing, that that somehow means that the, um, the uh, either that that power struggle isn't genuine, and if it is genuine, therefore that rules out possibility of Russia and China being on board with what we could call the Great Reset agenda, or. If it's not genuine, it's all part of some ruse to to implement the Great Reset Agenda. Where in re, where as in reality, I believe what we are seeing is a power struggle within that system. It's not it's not as if there's any attempt by Russia, in particular, to change that system. It's the same system, and certainly in terms of economic, if we if we look at at the economic side of what the um, Great Reset is is proposing in terms of how it's using stakeholder capitalism metrics to measure sustainable development and use and converting SDGs into basically into market regulations. Well, Russia are fully on board with that. And so are their very, very close partners, China, who have offered to do things like host the International Sustainability Standards Board. So I don't gotta, see any difference. Yeah, I think you, you're over Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, I, I don't see any difference between the two. Okay, so Riley, uh, two minutes about for you. Or cool. maybe three or four. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that a good way to start this conversation, for at least for me, is if everyone agrees that 
COVID is basically a scam has been used to curb stomp the plebs. And the question for me is, well, has Russia participated in this curb stomping, yes or no? And to what extent? And did it actually cooperate? I think that there's this idea that Russia sort of went its own way and did its own thing and somehow bypassed the COVID tyranny. And is this true or not? So I just want to read a few quotes. I'm not going to espouse philosophy. I'm just going to read straight a few block, block quotes from a few news reports. July 2020. So this is a month before Sputnik V was given the okay by the Russian health ministry. Uh, Fortune, Fortune magazine reports that there's this rumor that Russia has stolen vaccine intelligence from the West. And so Kirill Dmitriev, the CEO of the Russian Direct Investment Fund says, this is ridiculous because we've already signed a deal with AstraZeneca to manufacture the University of Oxford's COVID-19 vaccine at our farm, which by the way, they invest in, which means the Kremlin is making money off the AstraZeneca vaccine. Uh, here's his direct quote. Everything that is needed to produce the British vaccine has already been transferred to our farm, he said. AstraZeneca has already signed commitments to transfer all production of the British vaccine to our farm in Russia. Let's fast forward to November 2021. So we're skipping uh, quite a few months and a lot of interesting things happened, but we'll skip. In November, Dmitry Medvedev wrote this quite interesting article where he laid out lessons from the pandemic. And let's read some of the things he said. He uh, expressed support for Russia's decision to use legal restrictive measures against unvaccinated individuals, which according to him include the possibility of imposing a ban on travels to other countries, the possibility of refusing admission to educational organizations and healthcare institutions, and the possibility of suspension from work. This is directly from Medvedev's article. He goes on to say that policies that significantly infringe on the rights of the unvaccinated could be justified because in certain situations, and now I'm quoting again, public safety and social well-being of the entire population become more important than respect for the rights and freedoms of an individual citizen. He goes on to talk about the advantages of the COVID pandemic, so-called pandemic. He says, and this is a direct quote. Wait, just a quick COVID question. What, what date are we talking? When, when is he saying what? this? Uh, what date? November, what, what? Two, November 2021. Mm -hmm. uh, he goes on, to, I'm, this is a direct quote. COVID-19 has seriously accelerated the fourth industrial revolution. He uses that exact phrase, the fourth industrial revolution. He goes on to explain. He noted the urgent need to avoid physical contact between people had pushed Russia to adopt virtual cultural events, digital bank payments, and distance learning. He goes on to add cash payments are becoming a thing of the past. There is widespread transition to non-cash forms of payment. Uh, Let's actually, sorry, I messed up my chronology because I'm an idiot, but let's go back a month earlier to October of this same year, October 2021. Deputy Finance Minister uh, Timur uh, Maximov is at a conference, an IMF conference, and he says the following thing. Until all countries are vaccinated in a required proportion, the world will not return to the old normality. Therefore, it is necessary to increase efforts to produce and to ensure access to vaccines. Uh, again, let's go to December 2021. This is a, from a TASS article. In speaking of the adoption of vaccination certificates, Russian President Vladimir Putin noted that contrary to expectations, he cannot announce that QR codes are unnecessary. 
I can't, this is a direct quote, I cannot end this on a note expected by certain social organizations or figures, taking into account both moral motivations and the duties of my office, he said, pointing to the continuing complications in the fight against coronavirus. In January, Health Minister Mikhail uh, Marashko, so this is January of this year, was pressed about whether uh, vaccine certificates would be needed in the future to live a normal life. And this is what he said in response to this question. Time dictates the rules of our behavior. Once there were no passports, then they appeared. Everything is changing, clothing style, food style, everything changes. A person must be able to adapt. Uh, I mean, I could go on and on down the list, but this is what I would uh, end with, that I really do believe that there are two blocks being created, that they are pursuing almost identical policies, and the policy is to curb stomp us as hard as possible and in the most uh, humiliating and dehumanizing way possible. And uh, I really disagree with this idea that somehow Russia and China can use technocracy for good. And I'll give you two final things to think about with, with this. That Quickly, please. If Russia, okay, I'm not going to do that. I lied. Yeah, yeah, I'm not going to tell you anything more. <laughs> Sorry, just trying to keep it a little organized. It's fine, here. fine, fine. Okay, well, I mean, you'll have a chance to talk again, right? I mean, it's not like this is your only chance <laughs> to say anything. So um, uh, I guess uh, unless uh, Kit has anything to, to say, we'll throw it to uh, Tom and, and Matthew for... Um, I guess. Uh, uh, no, rebuttal. no, I don't have anything to take. Let's keep keep the rebuttals flying. All right, Matthew, why don't you just, why don't you start, and then we'll see where we go. Uh, yeah, okay. Because I'll handle I'll handle the financial markets on this. This is this is re- I, I I have the hammer, and it's very simple. But <laughs> okay. Ahead. Okay. All right. Uh, really all right. Simple. Well, in response uh, to that, um, I'm writing currently the a third volume of of my book, uh, which really goes more into the it's, it's called the Clash of the Two Americas, and the the idea was to flesh out that there's no such thing as a sovereign crystallized entity called a nation state anywhere on the earth today, but you have uh, different, you you know, the term deep state has become increasingly used in our modern lexicon in recent years. Fifth columns is how people used to call these things beforehand. Um, every country, the U.S. has has its, it, it has the same thing we see in China, in Russia, in India. There's a variety of things that are patriotic that don't want to sacrifice their civilizations on an altar of some mass uh, kill. And then there is this other parasitical thing, which is penetrated in various ways to very varying degrees, uh, the institutions of influence in various governments of the world. Um, the thing that I think is very important to look at is whether or not there are evidence, there are signs that there is resistance to this policy, this call it neo-eugenics, whatever transhuman policy um, that has been utilizing the co- the, the COVID uh, pandemic as an excuse to advance its agenda. Um, indeed, I, I've actually found your writings, Riley, useful. I've, re- I've written that on your, on your website as well, that you've helped me um, map out a lot of these elements uh, that are tied to the Davos crowd, that are tied to something nefarious. Before that, I was even thinking that Sputnik was perfectly uh, harmless until mm-hmm. I started really reading your stuff, and I appreciate that. Um, <clears throat> same thing for, you know, China, there's definite penetration of, of people like, uh, Jack Ma, you know, the Bill Gates of China, uh, a, a world economic forum trustee, right? Things like this that exists. Um, is there evidence of a pushback of resistance of anywhere, or is there no resistance? Is everything all on board with the same agenda to bring us to the same Hegelian dialectic and thus conclusion re- resolution of world government, technocracy, depopulation, 
and mm -hmm. uh, techno feudalism. Is that the case? Is it that's I think that's overly simplistic because I do think that there's a lot of evidence of resistance and pushback. Mm -hmm. I think the point that Medvedev was talking um, was also a point when you had uh, Sobi uh, Sobyanin and Golikova, the deputy prime minister of Russia, who's also tied. I mean, she came in with the, the Soros reformers and perestroika in the 90s. She's been highly, highly integrated. Well, she's been a colleague of, of Kudrin. Um, the, the, you know, mm -hmm. the former finance minister who was fired in 2011 for essentially acting treacherously. Um, but she's part of a hive that's been there for a long time, especially that was brought in under the nineties. Um, and that was the time when they were calling for, uh, fining people for not being vaccinated in November. That's when the announcement came out by Sobyanin, Golikova, Medvedev was, was touching on that. Um, and I think just about a, a month later, you had a proclamation from the Kremlin saying that no such thing would carry weight in law. And it was reversed. Um, so I do. I mean, was that a coincidence or was that just a part of the game playing with people? No, I, I think that there was um, a problem that was being recognized by the fact that Golikova, who's been the person managing the, the COVID-19 response since the beginning in Russia, she uh, following World Health Organization mandates and protocols, which have been assigned to the United States, to India, to China, has put into place a de-evolution of power under emergency management, which is in, enforced and empowered oblasts, provinces, states, municipalities to make decisions outside of federal authorities. That's that's happened in the United States. Look at the mm -hmm. case of New York when, uh, you know, <laughs> while Trump was still in office. Um, and I've got my problems with Trump, but there was definite renegade activity that never would have happened under a time of, of no emergency uh, mm -hmm. regarding vax mandates and other things in New York and other liberal states. Uh, the same thing has happened in St. Petersburg, in Moscow, where you've had a lot of authority being given to mayors, to state governors, and the same thing in China, who've gone uh, full hog and have, have encountered uh, fights with the federal authorities who no longer have the sort of, I guess, authority that they would have otherwise have had. So I think to ignore that entire deep state fifth column structure causes us to not understand the fight that's been there. Like, why has Putin... Why did he send oligarchs to prison? Why didn't if this oligarchy has all of the power that it currently we think that it enjoys controlling all of the different parts in the Hegelian dialectic equally for this the same world government resolution, then why didn't they they have their George Soros stooge Yeltsin remain in power? Why did Putin put oligarchs in prison? Why did so many of them leave to London and Florida to avoid prison? Same thing for China. Why didn't they why didn't George Soros's stooge Zhao Ziyang remain in power? Uh, the guy who ran a think tank with George Soros, he was the secretary general of China. He brought in the fourth industrial revolution in 1983 in China. He brought in <laughs> all of these things um, when he was premier in 83. And they they put him in, they, they imprisoned him and banned Soros for life uh, in 89 during a coup d'etat attempt. And they, they banned Soros in, in 2015 in Russia. So it's like, why did they do that? Why didn't they just keep those same power positions that they enjoyed, that influence that they had that whole time? And lastly, why is it that we have a, a, a obviously vigorous, robust pro-industrial policy when, when I hear Russia or China talking about uh, a new economic architecture or sustainable development or fourth industrial revolution even, which is a term that wasn't created by Klaus Schwab. This goes back to the 60s. It just simply means what? 3D printing, uh, machine learning, AI machine learning. It means the internet of things, whatever that is. Uh, sort of, you could talk to your house and be surveilled by your house. Um, <laughs> Joel and, uh, Kubik. um, yeah, it's, it's hilarious, right? Sorry. Yeah, like, like these are things that are tools that could enslave if it's governed by an ideology of transhumanism to, uh, 
that sees human beings as a virus. It could enslave and destroy. Or I think that, I mean, you know, repetitive work and human labor that is mindless, I'm sorry, I'll stop, uh, <laughs> could be replaced by a form of automation uh, where human beings could develop their minds. And things like digital currencies, I don't see as intrinsically bad if there is an agenda to put the economy in a place where it's developing and pulling people out of poverty and giving them a better life rather than going for regime change and depopulation like these, you know, freaks are, are pushing. So that's that's just it. I would just say that. There's Okay. Yeah. Uh so I I think uh we'll have uh well I don't I don't know what you all think. I think it would be uh we'll have Tom say what he wants to say, but maybe yeah. keeping yeah, along I, I the lines go, of I what Matthew along, said to not bring in too many yeah. more threads so it doesn't get too yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not gonna i'm not gonna i'm not i'm just gonna build on what matthew said which is to say okay, sure i had a recent podcast with walking forest from uh, fort rust news and he and i chatted about and before that with alistair crook and both of us talked about this situation with the war in ukraine from a civilization standpoint when sergey lavrov talks about states and systems and neutrality and all of these things they mean different things to to them than they do to the uh to uh, to the West. And I'm a libertarian. Riley's obviously a libertarian. Many of us are pro, you know, I know Whitney is, well, we see these things inherently and are triggered by them because it is our default position. We have a, 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 a person centric, uh, idea, idea, uh, ideology here in the West, even, even no matter what we do, the, idea of russia and china and iran are bigger than the systems and because uh, bigger than the people and because in the minds of the people and because of this okay there is this our, our problem here is that we're analyzing their moves with our um filter okay so we're very transactional here in the west putin talks about this explicitly saying look they're you're making and the sakers talked about this explicitly he's like look you're making the mistake of thinking that we're a transactional society we're not you're a transactional society so you think okay we can put sanctions on you and the oligarchs will rise up because the oligarchs are more powerful than the state and therefore we can overthrow the state with the oligarchs well that obviously has failed in iran multiple times china which starting in the hong kong riots of 2018 which was clearly an mi6 led color revolution attempt and that failed, okay? You saw China then going out and disappearing all of these freaking oligarchs, including Jack Ma. Like, and G's been on a, on a rampage going after all of them. Evergrande, the guy from Evergrande has been cut down to size. National prosperity is going to nationalize most of the property market, which all of that hot money that Matthew talked about, that's what was funneled in there by Soros, who thought he was going to be able to control the political system with it, is going to go right back to the people because all of those... Because oh, all that stuff's going to get bought by the state, written written off at twenty cents on the dollar, and then and then sold to the people directly. And all those you know, you know, highways to nowhere, and 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 empty apartment complexes and ghost cities that we've all heard so much about. I mean, as an Austrian economist, I'm completely horrified by it all because it's dumb use of capital. But it is what they've done with it, and you can see what they're going to do with it in the future. Now, and again, just because they take on the trappings of the same system that we see being imposed tyrannically here in the West for James Bond-esque villain reasons does not mean that they are going to use it the same way. I'm not saying they're going to use it for good. I'm not saying Russia's good. Their totalitarian is good. Totalitarianism is good. And China's is, is, is good. I'm not, I'm not Pepe Escobar. I'm going, to be, I'm going to throw the gauntlet down. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is they're going to use it 
in support of their state because the state comes first and everything else is second. And they can create us. And if they are a system forming state, the state and the system can survive changes in system. And so this is why we've had a successful shift in China from Maoism to Dengism to Xiism, which is going to be a different version of what we've had in the past. And you're going to see the same thing here in Russia. Putinism looks more like Pat Buchanan than it does Klaus Schwab. And I'm sorry, but if anybody on this panel doesn't see that, I, I don't know what else to say. Because the hammer here is he just pegged the ruble to gold. Guys, there's, there's no greater offense that one could take at this moment in time to do this than to peg the ruble to gold. Because it is now saying commodities cannot be traded for vapor. They can't be traded for script. They can't be traded for futures. They will have to be traded for real things, the way money was originally designed by human beings to do. To, to 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 affect, which is to take to which is to nom which is to destroy the time dependence, the time risk of holding a commodity in order to get in order to you know get from I need shoes but I have apples and I can't find anybody to trade shoes for apples, so I buy money and then I sell my money for for shoes after I've sold my apples to buy money, and. We've lived in this ridiculous system that has empowered these insane freaking people. And Putin is saying, no, we can go back to the, we're going to tie the, the ruble to gold. The Chinese, when they offered, when they started the gold, when they started the Shifi gold futures contract, which is only physically settled, by the way, no paper, no, 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 you want. And it's, and then when they tied the oil futures contract to that same system on Shifi, that was your signal that the Chinese were also moving away from a script-based commodity, uh, a script-for-commodity uh, economy to a value-for-value -value economy. And that is fundamentally a different perspective on the way real world works than the great than than the than than the the fourth industrial revolution interpretation of the great of the WAF and the Great Reset. That's okay. the hammer. I, I, I'm, I'm sorry. It, it just is. It's, like, it's, no it's, worries, Tom. So we'll uh, uh, next we'll go to Riley and Ian, whichever uh, wants to hop in first. Can I just, yeah, I'll be really quick. So I, I have to disagree. I, I'm not sure if that Matt actually has the facts here because he mentioned so beyond it and policies put in place in November. Uh, so beyond it imposed compulsory vaccination in Moscow in June. And a day before that, that he announced the decree on June 16th, a day earlier, uh, Moscow's most famous COVID war director, Dr. Denis Pratsenko, gave an interview to RT where he said compulsory vaccination was the only way out of the out of the pandemic. And the next day, compulsory vaccination was announced. So he has amazing tea leave, you know, reading capabilities. And then less than a week later, Pratsenko got a phone call from Vladimir Putin and Putin urged him to run for the state Duma on the United Russia ticket which is an offer that he accepted. Uh, also, the Kremlin has publicly say, stated that it supports obligatory, uh, vac uh, sorry, obligatory COVID-19 vaccination because I have the TOSS article right here in front of me, June 17th, the day after compulsory vaccination was announced in Moscow. The headline is Kremlin supports obligatory COVID-19 vaccination introduced in several Russian regions. Dmitry Peskov here saying, the principle of vaccination not being obligatory generally remains, but we are not being very active in getting vaccinated. 
So that's nice of him. We can actually fast forward to October, October 7th, 2021. Dmitry Peskov, again, the Kremlin spokesman. So he's speaking on behalf of President Putin. And as far as I know, he's never been, uh, he's never gotten in trouble for anything he says on these titles. He says, any measure that can encourage more people to get vaccinated is good. A week later, he lectured Russians who hadn't been vaccinated, accusing them of being ir making irresponsible choices that kill. Uh, Vladimir Putin also gave the order of Alexander Nevsky, like this fancy state award, to Alexander Ginsburg, the alleged developer of Sputnik V, which, by the way, is totally unproven based on a platform that has absolutely no history of being safe or effective. Uh, Ginsburg this week, next week, is going to start testing Sputnik M, which is the kids shot, the kids friendly version of Sputnik uh, V on children ages 6 to 11. Uh, he's got a whole lot of interesting COVID-related scams going on. In fact, the COVID scams are increasing in Russia right now. Uh, they're, they're introducing new drugs, new treatments. In fact, it's become a, it's, it's been rooted into public health here in Russia at this point. It's actually quite interesting. And I would just add to this that anyone who thinks that Russia somehow, uh, you know, played this five-dimensional game where it wasn't uh, scamming people and calling its population. Russia experienced the highest mortality between 2000, 2020, 2001, and 2021 since the end of World War II. Uh, last week, an article came out explaining how uh, the number of registered pensioners in Russia's pension fund had dropped, the highest number, about a million pensioners, had dropped off this list. It's the highest, the largest drop since the early 1990s, since socioeconomic collapse in Russia. So the question is, Russia pumped records amount of money into fighting COVID. It developed all these fancy vaccines. It did all these cool, you know, uh, had their, their red zones to keep the super sick COVID patients in here. And we have record death, a level of death we haven't seen since the end of World War II. Pensioners dropping like flies, basically, since we haven't seen it since the early 1990s. So I don't know what to tell you guys. I live in Russia. I, you know, I just I just call it for what it is. What's happening is that COVID has been abused in Russia, like it has everywhere else. I'm not saying Russia is even is worse or better than anyone else in this in this regard. Uh, it's pushing uh, medical treatments that are unproven, unnecessary, and very likely dangerous on its population, and it's using COVID as a springboard to implement policies that actually have been in the works long before COVID. So for example, biometric IDs for students. Um, they have genetic passports that they wanna roll out. In July, 2021, uh, Russia's health ministry said, we wanna start giving every single baby that's born in Russia a genetic passport because it's for biosecurity. We're gonna protect the population from bio, bio threats by, by issuing these genetic passports. Uh, we're really talking about a situation where Russia is implementing all of the things that we, they started piloting the digital ruble in January. Uh, they just gave Spare Bank, uh, Russia's central bank, this is March 17th, Russia's central bank on Thursday said it had been, uh, it had given major lender Spare Bank a license to issue and exchange digital financial assets. This goes back to the famous Spare Coin, which was developed uh, in conjunction with JP Morgan. And apparently that's on its way. So everything across the board, everything that we think of as like the Great Reset, like 
the technocracy, the control over, over uh, the population, this constant state of fear, the biosecurity state, directly, you can just take all that stuff you think and just look at Russia and it's doing the exact same thing. It's a different block. Okay. Undoubtedly, it's a different block. It's the same thing though. Okay, that's, um, we had a rough, rough rule of five minutes and that was almost exactly five minutes. So well done, you paced that really well. Um, Ian, um, Ian, do you have anything to say? Yeah, uh, I'm interested in the idea that, um, you know, that I think, first of all, I think there is a, a difference between the, what we might call it the Slavic kind of view of, of things and the and the kind of Western Western view of things. There, And I agree that there are, blocks forming um and that you know we can we can see that but i'm interested in the idea that and i and i understand that it also you know <clears throat> within russian politics nationalism you know to appeal to the nationalist sense of russian nationalism is an important aspect of russian politics so we have to i think we need to separate domestic politics and the rhetoric that is put forward in, in, in for that uh, as averse to what might be happening on a on a global scale because I don't think the two things I mean we see the same thing everywhere else I mean you know our politicians in the UK they, they speak to the speak to the local to the local population to the UK population and they they're not necessarily saying the same things on the international stage and that is certainly not the case with in russia so in russia's case so i mean if we look at what um lavrov said um i think today or yesterday as a, on a, in his visit to india um he said we will move towards uh, talking about these two version models of the same thing we will move towards a multipolar equitable and democratic world order with and you and other with you and other like-minded nations. So he was very much echoing the sentiments that were put forward by the Russian Deputy uh, Foreign Minister Sergei Ryabakov. Um, he said, in every sense, again talking about the BRICS, in every sense, these countries will form the basis of a new world order. Um, and then we we've got the comments of China of the Chinese um, Foreign Minister. Um, who was also speaking yesterday, who was talking about the relationship between Russia and China. And he said, um, uh, I think his, his, his Wending, I think, I, I, I'll probably pronounce that incorrectly. But he said, there is no ceiling for China-Russia cooperation. So bearing in mind what's happening at the moment on the global stage in terms of what's happening in Ukraine, there is no ceiling for China-Russia cooperation, no ceiling for us to strive for peace, no ceiling for us to safeguard security and no ceiling for us to oppose hegemony. So we have got statements by, you know, Rus leading Russian politicians and Chinese politicians who are talking about putting the BRICS at the centre of a world order. Now that suggests to me that they're playing the same game. But there is, but there is definitely a, you know, a, a power struggle at the table. I would suggest for primacy at that table. But they're not, they're not in any way are they in a suggesting that the the Great Reset agenda, as we understand it, 
as Riley, and I'm going to support what Riley was saying, is is the same. It's be, there's no there's no diff, there's no difference between what the what the the Russian and Chinese model of that of that system is. Oh, the only difference is the way that they intend to implement it. But they do they both intend to implement it. Now, if if the the contention is that Russia are seeing this multipolar world order as somehow protecting national sovereignty. I, I, I can't see how that can happen when you've got, for example, AstraZeneca and, and uh, in, you know, working with, uh, and when we're talking about the sanctions that are being applied at the moment, you've got, you've got the same kind of globalist forces that are working through, for example, uh, the, Russian, the Russian central bank is ex exactly the same as every other central bank. So in terms of also when you were talking about the, the money situation, which I, I, I thought was interesting, we were talking about Russia going to a gold standard. Well, that's not as if going to a gold standard suddenly removes the usury that, we're, that we are accustomed to. We had just as much usury in terms of fractional reserve banking when we were on a gold standard. In fact, gold, in fact, the gold standard started the whole process. So, you know, I, I understand that it would be good to have it would be good to have uh, sovereign money, but going to the gold standard doesn't create sovereign money. That just that just creates a different way of managing usury. So, it's it's not as if these it's not as if these things are leading us toward a fundamentally different model of East and West. And I think that if that's the contention that 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 there is that fundamental difference, personally, I, I if we look at the statements of politicians that are talking about world orders and so forth, that that doesn't that doesn't. <clears throat> uh, really quick before uh, Tom responds, because it looks like he really wants to. Um, I, I just wanted to uh, bring up that one of uh, Matthew's key points was about a fifth column in Russia, um, and uh, that wasn't really addressed by either Ian or Riley. Uh, do you, either of you want to say anything about that really briefly? And by brief, I mean like under a, a minute in the interest of time. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think if, if there's... You know, when we talk about Putin kicking out all the oligarchs, just just... We get this impression, and I think we we get this idea that that there's one cohesive system, and that 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 one cohesive system is the Schwabian World Economic Forum offered model. As far as I'm concerned, the World Economic Forum are simply bidding, as Russia and China are bidding at the moment for a place at the table. They're trying to put themselves at the centre of the same model that is that has been rolled out for the last 100 years. So so it's just a power play and there's a power play within that within that him kicking out a load of oligarchs and sending them off to the sending them off to live in London where they can, you know, pay for the Tory party. That that is just I think just another example of the power play. That's just another example of his oligarchs that are favorable to our agenda and oligarchs that aren't favorable to our agenda so as into you know when you were talking about soros the some of the comments that's that soros made and soros being kicked out of of 
of uh, you know Russia, but effectively, and China. Um, Soros was saying back in you know the the ten years in two thousand and ten that he was predicting the collapse of the dollar, the rise of China, and that's what we're seeing. That's not a hard. That's not a hard. That's not a hard prediction to make. Like, like we were making this prediction. Libertarians were making this prediction in 1985, because we understood the 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 process of what happens when you unmoor money from gold. Like this is not difficult. So this is Soros is is doing nothing more than a mixture of talking his book and and adding nuggets of truth to the book that he's playing, but. Um, I want to go back to the idea that when we when we tie the world back to gold, you do you realize, Ian, that August 15th, 1971, put the oligarchs officially in charge of the world, that the very people that we're all worried about now had the opportunity to trade nothing. Actually, they trade your future labor, known as debt, for real goods. They trade um, your future labor for today's labor. They buy yesterday. They buy tomorrow's. Uh, to, they buy today's goods at yesterday's prices with tomorrow's money. You take the world back to, and you tie the world back to gold or any other hard asset that requires an opportunity cost to create that isn't horseshit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You wind up with a completely different paradigm. This is why they hate Bitcoin, but they love Ethereum. Okay, like the World Economic Forum loves Ethereum. You know why? They control Ethereum. They're trying to move it to proof of stake. Why did it? Why do they all hate Bitcoin? Because they can't, they can't crack it. Okay, there's a reason why. So Bitcoin is not a central bank digital currency. And if you don't understand that fundamental techno technological difference, then we can't have. Then we have another entire two hours to discuss because the under the base the underlying conceit here is that Putin on Friday of last week did what everybody in the in this in my community has been waiting for for 35 years to somebody to finally have enough strength to be able to stand up and go you know what no uh we're going to tie our currency directly by fixing it to the price of gold we're going to collapse the paper gold scheme which will de which will take away all of their power because all of their power that they have is fundamentally built on a pile of paper trash. And most of it is a pile of paper gold. Certainly in the last 15 years that they've been able to manipulate their way into staying in power more and more desperately as the clock runs out on them. And the clock ran out on them in March of 2020, which is why they, which is why they gave us the current apocalypse, which is why they unleashed COVID on us the way they did. Because there was only one way to keep the world, because the Fed was raising it, the Fed wanted wanted off of this train. I've been arguing this thing for months. But understand that it is that moment right there that will change the dynamics for everything. Because now, oil, gold, the ruble, and anybody else that wants to get on this train, the yuan's already there, this, the Saudi Arabian real is coming, the Hong Kong dollar is coming, all of this is good. They're all going to be tied. Commodities, oil, gold, they're all going to be eventually the same. And the dollar is going to have to either, and the euro, but the euro is going to die first. Both of those are now tied to a pile of paper gold that is rehypothecated on a daily basis between the Crimex, GLD, and the LBMA. And as that pile collapses, so too does the entire massive pile of derivatives and massive amount of money they think they have. 
This is known colloquially as the euro dollar system. That system is going to collapse. As that system collapses, their power goes away because now they can't buy everybody. Now the checks bounce. Empires end when you when the checks bounce and they don't pay the soldiers. Well, guess what? Today, the World Economic Forum soldiers are the politicians that we all hate and the CEOs we all hate, okay? And all of these oligarchs in the West who are in cahoots with them. And those people are going to lose a tremendous amount of real, real purchasing power. Either the price of gold has to rise 25 or 30 times, or the whole pile of assets that they control has to fall in value 25 or 30 by a factor of 25 to 30. And when that happens, they won't have the ability to continue to do the play the games that they play. That is what Putin just set in motion. Whether or not he's, whether or not you can argue, and I'll get the last thing I'll say is you can argue that many of the things that he's been putting in that they that they put in place through via the fifth and sixth column, whether or not they're all making money off of it is irrelevant. All all governments are corrupt. So Riley, you telling me that the Russian government is corrupt is like, oh wow, that's nice. Water's wet and and the sun that rises in the east. That's nice. It is. It's just true. We know this. But what? But it's the particular type of corruption that matters. Agreed. And more importantly, whether or not there's been a shift in. And, and, and there's a shift in the power struggle within that government. And you rightly touched on the Russian central bank being still 49% controlled by the Rothschilds. And I'll tell you that within the next three months, you're going to see it nationalized. And they're going to be kicked out. Because it's the only thing that comes next. Then they're going to close their capital account. And then the, and then the war in Ukraine is going to spill over the borders. Because that's their next move. I'll back off from here. Okay. <clears throat> well, uh, to, to Matthew then... Um... There's anything you'd like Actually, to add? Um, yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, well, yeah, I guess I'll I throw would, it. I wouldn't yeah. mind stepping in here for a minute. Um, I just I, I had a couple of things I wanted to just put out there as a moderator and just see if there are some things that I can say that everybody will agree with, at least to a certain extent. Firstly, the Western sanctions against Russia look like they're doing more harm to the West than they are to Russia at this point. Now. I would like to say, or at least ask, I will, I will just phrase it in terms of COVID because there's an awful lot of discussion around COVID about whether or not the virus was real. I know we have people in Off Guardian say viruses don't exist at all. And we have people say viruses do exist, COVID doesn't exist. And we have people say COVID exists, but it's not very dangerous. You know, And to a certain point, that question is somewhat irrelevant because a virus that doesn't exist and a virus that exists but doesn't do anything is pretty much the same thing. Now, I would say that you talk about whether or not Russia is at war in Ukraine, whether it was pulled into that war as a trick by the West to understand how Putin thinks, or whether it voluntarily entered into that war to spread part of the Great Reset Agenda is, at some point, an irrelevant question. If the Western West deliberately created that war one way or another, and its sanctions are doing more harm than good here, we have to say that the war in Ukraine is not about Ukraine. Now, would everybody agree with that? Yes. Agreed. Okay. That's... <laughs> I forget what I was going to say after that. I had some notes. But well, let, let, let's let Matthew respond to where Tom was going. And uh, we I, I can add to what you said, Kit, after uh, Matt gets his uh, his chance uh, to. Yeah, there, there's so many elements uh, that have been There are, up. yeah. Uh, the more we throw in, it gets. What uh, yeah. angle I want to treated and, and now kit just introduced that other factor um okay. well we'll pick that up uh, after i thought he was gonna 
uh, say something different. Well, I, I, I guess I'll touch on that. That was the most recent thing in my mind now. So yeah. I'll just say something on that and see if I could just leap, leap somewhere else um, lawfully. Um, I do think that uh, Russia did make genuinely uh, serious attempts to avoid the consequences of the, the military actions that we're now seeing unfold, uh, especially from the, I think Putin was serious about the red lines uh, demand. I think he was serious for eight years trying to get the Minsk two agreements actually satisfied and met and honored. Um, I think that all of those things were legit uh, intentions. I, I think his actions speak for that. The fact that they waited eight years of, you know, tolerating this <laughs> crazy, I think we all are aware of this insanity that was permitted to to be brought online after 2000 or in 2014 by Victoria Newland and the U.S. State Department and others. Um, so I think that there's been an, a, a lot of holding back, withholding despite the Donetsk and Lugansk people's, you know, republics demanding independence as early back as 2014, all of this stuff. Um, and, uh, and I think that the West has had the Ukraine as part of a broader international geostrategic, you know, picture. They had this as an important part in that, in that game. And, uh, I think that the, the consequences of the war, um, the, the actual military acts that we now see unfolding were pre-planned to a certain degree. Like we saw even Ned Price, you know, the spokesperson for the state department warning, uh, of a Russian false flag using crisis actors that they would blame on Kiev, you know, imminently. And uh, everyone was thinking, well, okay, I guess I guess it's going to happen. And, and Russia is going to just go in there and they're going to be blaming some atrocity that will happen in Crimea or Donetsk as being caused by these Nazis. But it's really the Russians. That's what we're being set up to believe. I think that bloodbath, there's a lot of evidence that that was going to happen. There was, I mean, they had medals printed out that they, they discovered a, a storehouse of medals that they were going to give to the heroes of Ukraine for taking back Crimea. That was printed. They were, you know, they've taken pictures of these boxes full of these medals. Um, there, there was evidence that there was actually an assault planned with Azovs and other, you know, unrepentant, un, unreconstructed Nazis <laughs> that were going to be used as uh, blood letters um, to provoke Russia. They wanted to get a response. The question was, who is going to stay in control of the narrative? Would Russia allow that bloodbath and then go in on the terms controlled by their opponents? Or were they going to control as much as possible the situation as uh, on their terms? And I think that that's sort of how I'm looking at the Ukraine thing, because there is there is currently an obvious collapse of the Western system. It can't be bailed out that much longer. I mean, it's already blowing out there. The pinprick is 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 in the bubble. So, the, I mean, I think that when I listened to Soros in 2010 talking about how uh, China is, is a great role model for the, the new economic architecture, this is a, a China that was pre-Xi Jinping, it was pre-Belt and Road Initiative, it was pre-the alliance with the Eurasian Economic Union that was only brought online in 2015, it was pre-Russia, I mean, Russia and China had already, they were still going along with the NATO or the UN Security Council's uh, destruction of Libya. Um, they, Russia still had not intervened to block the regime change, the Libya treatment of, of Bashar al-Assad. Um, it was before a certain change had happened that uh, Soros was saying these things. And I think when the script that they had been operating on for many decades, this New World Order script that was, you know, <laughs> at any you want towers to fall, you, you make it happen. You want a, a country to be bombed, you want a surveillance state, it's, it's, there was very little resistance. And then all of a sudden, the script stopped working the way they wanted it to work. 
Um, and I think that there's been a bit of a temper tantrum, oligarchical temper tantrum happening now increasingly since 2013, when, I mean, there's been a, a giant purge, the likes of which we have never seen, not since the Gang of Four were put in prison after Mao died and their protector disappeared. Um, and there was a fight in China in the in the 70s. Uh, we're now seeing, you know, a million and a half or so since 2019, uh, between 2012 and 19, a uh, million and a half people have been taken out of positions of power in the Chinese bureaucracy, private sector, and, and high levels of government uh, for being affiliated in various ways to Western intelligence agencies. That's a serious crackdown. I mean, I, you know, <laughs> um, Soros has increasingly now said um, that Xi Jinping should be overthrown, that the biggest threats to his open society are Xi Jinping's uh, BRI. And uh, he also said uh, tr Donald Trump's uh, US-China trade agreement, which was part of a broader program. I mean, they wanted Hillary in. Say what you like, you'd like about Trump being a, a jerk and a, and a failure or maybe partial asset. He, they wanted Hillary in. That was their golden girl. Um, that was an upset. Um, and the fact that, I mean, Xi Jinping said that the U.S.-China trade agreement in two, January 2020 was one of the greatest threat to his open society. That was real. That was the U China agreeing to buy $350 billion of finished goods from a rehabilitated Rust Belt Detroit, Philadelphia of the USA as part of a broader healing, which was like a 50-year atrophy to undo um, inside of the, the U.S. and beyond. Um, all of these things are, I mean, the oligarchy has not been satisfied with the fact that their their ivory tower idea of the way this world order was going to unfold is happening. And I think that when you just use pattern formation thinking, this is my, my last thing I'll say, when you use pattern formation thinking, it's like this is the way you program a computer or a, a drone, right? You, you you say, okay, when, when the drone flying over uh, Iraq sees people in these pattern mo motions happening, or the, you know, you could program an algorithm. When you see that, you, sh you shoot and fire and kill. And because we've associated that with terrorist activity, the, the, the patterns associated with these terrorist activities. Now, that might work nine times out of 10, but that 10th time, you might hit a, a wedding, you know, and, and kill 90 civilians. Um, pattern formation thinking, sometimes, you know, you could define something as having four legs and you sit on it, so it's a chair. But then somebody's like, but I think that that's a horse over there. You're like, no, it, it has four legs and somebody's sitting on it, it's a chair. Um, I think when you just use the words, the outward shell of the words without looking at the function, the design and intent behind them and just hear new world order or new economic order or new order uh, or sustainability, then you might say, OK, that looks like what Klaus Schwab says. OK, they're the same thing. But if you look at the intent and the design and the function and the pulling 800 million people out of poverty and the building 40,000 kilometers of high speed rail and helping Africa develop engineering uh, educational facilities for Africans to become engineers and have full spectrum factories, which the West has never done for 70 years of debt slavery. Uh, that's what China is doing. Um, it's a different function. Their idea of, of what the new order is, the new world order, it, there will be a new order. I mean, what, would we rather have no order? There will be an order. The current order is collapsing. It's done. Um, so is it going to be designed around ideas and intentions and, and concepts that are in tune with how human beings actually uh, function? if we're going to thrive and survive? Or is it based on this atrocity of depopulation, human beings are viruses or made in the image of mud to be controlled by a master class and forever kept stupid? Um, it's two different ideas of world order, globalization, uh, other things. So I would just say that uh, as my, my last point on that. <clears throat> Okay, um, so before we get back to what Kit brought up with just sort of like this Ukraine um, great reset thread, I kind of want to try and summarize what I think uh, you and, and Tom have sort of been getting at, and you tell me if I'm I'm wrong. Mm. Um, 
so so basically um you know um the the corruption that the the uh, like examples of of corruption or complicity uh with the great reset uh with uh, within russia are the uh is the is the fifth column into russia is is to blame yes and the um uh, the new uh order that russia and china are seeking uh to uh uh, that that they are backing, uh, in contrast to the Western one, is not necessarily going to be the same flavor as uh, that uh, currently being um, proposed by uh, the West. Is that a fair that, that, yeah, and, summary? And, and it's because of and it's because of a di uh, a, a difference in architectural thinking and state system thinking. And uh, I just want to add that thank you, uh, Matt, for bringing up the point about pattern recognition because I was going to bring up the point that. Uh, a lot of what I see from the people who want to believe that that um, that Putin is working for the WEF are uh, misapplying Tlaib's black swan metaphor. And being a scientist, I know what hypothesis, null hypothesis um, testing is all about because I've done it my, most of my entire life before I started doing this. That's what Tlaib is talking about. You cannot use that type of pattern recognition and that kind of, well, I've got 999 white swans over here and one black swan. So the black swan invalidates the 999 white swans. It doesn't work that way. It works that way in chemistry. works that way in the physical sciences. It does not work that way in geopolitics, sociology, human behavior. It does not work. And part of what this technocracy is all about is actually doing many, doing that kind of, that, that kind of misapplication of positivism in a, uh, in a, in a social sciences setting. I mean, this, and, and it's one of the things that drives me crazy about Jordan Peterson. He does this all, he uses this all the time. And I'm like, no, statistically, you know, nothing, but I'll, never mind. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll stop there. My point is, is that it's easy to get lost in that rabbit hole when we are on, on the verge of the extinction of our way of life, because it's a very, it's a, it's that portion of our brain that does that pattern recognition and threat assessment it gets hyper-focused and hyper-tuned for good reason, because it's trying to keep us from getting killed. And Klaus Schwab, obviously, and the rest of these people want to kill us all. And so I have tremendous sympathy, but and at the same time, part of the reason why I'm so belligerent this morning is I don't have any patience for it. But I have sympathy. I just want to let them know that. So that's it. But yes, okay. you're, you're um, mostly right. So uh, just just to make sure we're we're clear here on, on the position then, um, you would see technocracy embraced by the fifth column within Russia, but not by the other parts that you do not view as being a fifth column, or you see both as, as embracing uh, we technocracy, define technocracy or elements of technocracy. Can you um, define technocracy a bit? <clears throat> yeah. Um, I, well, I, well, I, we didn't really define it in the beginning, but I sort yeah. of included it in my great reset thing in a, in a sense, but basically the idea of um, rule by technology, this sort of top down use of technology to uh, micromanage um, how people live their lives, more or less. I don't, uh, Ian may, uh, you know, has written a lot about technocracy, so he may uh, have a different definition, but I think, you know, for the purposes of what we're discussing, that's how I would sort of uh, view it. Obviously, there's a lot that one could add, but in the context of what we're talking about. Ian, is that is that okay, or did you... Yeah, I mean, I would just say that technocracy is a centralized control system which manages its population through the management and distribution of resources. Yeah, communism. It's it's a, it's, a, it's neo feudalism. No, it's not communism because yeah. it allows you to have, you know, uh, profitable capitalist 
system as well. It's a combination of the two. It's not communism. Well, uh, well, well, well to, the, to be fair, Tom, Patrick Wood, who really is, I would, I think we could all probably agree is uh, one of the top authorities on technocracy, uh, does not uh, agree that it's the same as communism. Fair enough. I just, I, I'm very reductionist when I get the collectivist systems. Um, no, no, that's, that's fine. I'm just it's, it's, yeah, I, I know. And I'm, I'm again, I'm, I'm being half facetious here, but it's the, it's the, the important thing is to say, look, at the end of the day, it comes down to, do we have ultimate centralized control or not? And I'm not really interested in defining too many terms because yeah, frankly, I, communes I are really good at defining, defining terms to their, that's, that's what they do. They play games. They play word games okay, in order to obfuscate what they're actually doing, which is the, what the which is what the, the WF goal. Likes to do. The goal of this panel is to is to uh, have all the arguments about both sides of this issue sort of yeah. out on the table for viewers to right. to make their own conclusions. So they may not have a grasp of the same of the terms the same way that that the panelists here do. Fair enough. Right. So it's it's uh, more for for them than <laughs> than than for us, so to speak. So uh, returning to my question, then, would you say that that particular type of centralized technological management system i guess technocracy yeah um, it, is, is embraced by both or just the the fifth column I, i'm gonna put it this way at this point in time given the existential threats to the russian civilization and in many ways from the way the chinese see their civil see the threat from the west to their civilization they will grasp whatever weapons they feel are going to get them the most efficacious result in order to survive when you are under existential threat you okay. will react in extreme ways. You may not react in extreme ways forever. Okay. And I just want to remind you that. Remember, let's go back to World War II in the United States. You know, we put Italians and Germans and, and Japanese in concentration camps here in the US. Do we do that today? No. Was the, was, you know, and back then, I mean, you, you know, you can argue that FDR's New Deal was the 1930s okay. version of a technology. So in yeah. the interest of I just want to make sure that we're, I just want to make sure that we're, we're understanding that at, that the, it, it's the, the intention, as Matt said, is the important part. They okay. may use the same technology, but they're using it for different purposes. So you would argue it's a wartime footing and it's, oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Um, and Matt, would you agree with that? Yeah, I would just say somebody once asked me how I would define fascism because there's variant flavors. And I would say the invariant is the, the committed definition of human beings as an automaton or beast to be controlled by a master class of programmers. Uh, some mix of automaton and hedonistic beast of some sort to be behaviorally modified, right? But there is no idea of a soul, of inalienable rights. Things like that are, are incongruent with the idea of a fascist type of governance structure. Uh, regardless of, again, the variant corporate fascism or, or whatever, um, I think the whatever is used, whatever technologies are deployed, whether whatever type of forms of, of central government or whatever are utilized, if you have that idea in your operating system that human beings are that, what I just said, uh, it will be used to create a, a fascist technocratic feudal system of controlling talking cows. To the degree that you have an idea that there is um, a sovereign quality in the be in the humans themselves that are more than the sum of their parts and that are more than just animals or machines to be programmed, if you have that idea, then utilizing government, even central authority, uh, could be deployed as, as well as technologies for the good to pull people out of poverty, give them better access to their mental faculties, a better sense of security for the future ending hunger, starvation, the, the four, you know, horsemen, yada, yada. Uh, that's possible. 
Um, but I think it's it's having that flexibility of looking at it from a, a fascist filter of human automatons versus, let's say, a JFK who would use central government when he built a national uh, energy grid, uh, hydroelectric dams and what have you in the 60s. Uh, that was central power, but it wasn't tyrannical. It, it was it allowed for flexibility of free enterprise. It allowed for the mobility of the parts. So it was a flexible management system, but that still had a central type of quality to it. So it's it's I think I think finding that balance of order and freedom, which has always been the the challenge for humanity for thousands of years, is how okay. do we like strike the duty freedom paradox and like you know, <laughs> and apply that to social s systems, um, governance structures. Um, I think that that's when I hear China or Russia talking about the UN Charter. I read the UN Charter, Article One, Article Two. It's a very different idea. It enshrines sovereignty of nation states inside of it, embedded in it, uh, versus the League of Nations. Let's say the Covenant from years earlier, which is all about world government getting rid of the, the sovereignty of nation states. That one's a much more imperial fascist feudal system. The, the UN Charter in its original intent was enshrining sovereignty of nations and the harmonization of the of, of cooperative you know, interest amongst the parts. It's a different idea, even though it was abused, admittedly, <laughs> and, and used to enforce an imperial agenda. I'm not denying that. But it's a different, when you hear them say it, you can't just say, aha, they like the UN or the UN Charter, thus they are globalist fiends you know like that's the leap we could make and i, I don't think we should make that okay so yeah. we'll go then to ian and riley and then um if it's okay with everyone we'll return to the points that kit brought up um uh, a bit ago if that's okay um what do you want to go riley or okay sure um Sorry, I, I'm really not trying to nitpick. I swear to God, I'm not. But actually, Matthew, I'm sorry. I did have a question for you because you mentioned something about like compulsory vaccination being ruled unlawful or something. Can you just elaborate on that? Because I'm not familiar with this. Yeah, Golikova announced on February, uh, sorry, November 3rd, I believe it was 2021. Um, uh -huh. So gave a speech also endorsing this, that the federal authorities of, of, of Russia were going to enforce I think with even threats of fines, uh, mandatory wow. vaccinations federally, um, instead of it just being something that would be of the of the regions. And then it was in. Let me get, pull up my my little link here. Uh, that was December first, twenty. So one month later, the Kremlin mm -hmm. announced no that will carry no weight. Peskov said that no, we will not permit such measures to be taken in Russia. That that policy, and she said it was going to be by February first, twenty twenty two was going to be the date and that was reversed by a kremlin order um and i think that the point there was just that so far my point has been like sobyanin has been a, a defender and promoter and he almost became prime minister of the russia of the regions like having devolving power into regionalized you know local control right, so I, so I don't want to cut you off but yeah. that was just my question she wanted to just federalize but, it but, and make that a mandatory federal okay thing but um i just want to i just want to make something clear though that yeah. russia has in all of its, basically in all of its regions had compulsory vaccination. Uh, the penalties were basically, you can lose your job. They had rules where if you were over six, in many regions, they had rules where if you were over 60 and you're unvaccinated, you had to basically be in self-isolation at home. Uh, so I just wanna make that clear. And also some of these policies are actually still in place. Some have been uh, pulled back because the regional governors have said, okay, we've reached the holy grail of, you know, uh, herd immunity of 80% and we don't need it anymore. Other regions even still have COVID policies in place. So I just want to make that clear. And also that the Kremlin actually has said broadly that they're okay with that and they're not gonna they're not gonna intervene anyway. And as Putin said, 
he was okay with the national QR code legislation, which is de facto compulsory vaccination. Um, actually, but Matthew, I had another question for you, and I'm and this is not trying. I'm, this is not a gotcha question. I'm genuinely interested because I would consider you a China expert. I'm not. What do you feel about what's the deal here with China and these new lockdowns? I mean, they put 50 million people in lockdown. Shanghai, what I understand, is one of the strictest lockdowns ever, even even more strict than 2020. So I wanted to know, like, what's your take on that? Why are they doing well, that? Well, from my from my contacts in China as well, I I mean, I I talk to them and um. What I'm gathering, also having just been a, a very close China watcher from the beginning, um, China has, from the earliest days of the whole COVID uh, scandemic, um, in February of 2020, their foreign ministry spokesperson was already like tweeting out articles from Global Research, uh, yeah. discussing the Project for New American Century agenda to target with genetic racial targeting of uh, pathogens as part of the, the warfare of the 21st century. Um, this is something that's been reinstated, restated and restated again and again and got re-amplified with the revelations of the international array of, of U.S. Pentagon run biolabs all over the world. A lot of them are around China's own perimeter as far as uh, it seems the evidence is showing. And the Chinese foreign ministry has been very, very clear about their concerns. And I think they've been watching this for 20 years. So part of it is that they're expecting this and have been treating this in the form of a DEFCON 2. They've been in DEFCON 2 mode, right? Like DEFCON 1 is you're in nuclear war. DEFCON 2 is pre- they're, they're operating under the assumption that there is, if not this, then a likely other uh, targeted attack, perhaps targeting the Han uh, genetic stock. Um, the Slavs also, like Lavrov has warned that there's been um, a concern that the Slavic genetic coding has also been targeted. Um, so part of it is they're trying to stay, I think, as much in control as possible without creating as many uh, fissures as possible. Uh, you got to pick and choose your battles. But um, in control of what, though? Because I thought we all agreed. Hey, if, 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 if I could pop, type, pop in for just a second and give you a different perspective on this, which is to say, look, um, the way you further put pressure on the capital markets in the West is to shut down the supply chains in China. Okay, so it's, gonna, that's, it's just that simple. Like this is the counter sanction. This is the way I the, the way I look at it. Stripping Chinese people their basic human rights to put it, pressure it, on the this capital market. Yeah, sounds like not, a shitty system to me. I'm not making value judgments here, man. <laughs> I am not making value judgments. <laughs> okay, I mean, but the question again. No, that's the point, Tom. That's the point. So if we're talking about like, oh, there's two different blocks, but one of them is going to save the world from. I didn't you know, say they were going to save the world. I you were talking say about that. what I said was about, like apocalyptic civil. Like, well, I, I, if I can, uh, uh, jump I think in that's. Or... I think that's a really. I think that's a really bad and and reductionist view of how we power politics at the geopolitical level works. Okay, so, I'm just saying. Well, I, I, I just so, do. Like, well, dude, I can easily see the Chinese stop government. Stop for a second, if is, that's okay. Is, so I can I can sort of put us book on a back on a, uh, yeah, <laughs> a more normal normal footing um so basically the contention and riley i, I guess uh, i would like you and ian to respond to that is uh, the way matt and, and tom have framed it is that these types of behaviors um on the part of russia and china they argue is is from a um, that those governments when they do uh those uh, examples you brought up are on a wartime footing so um why don't you respond to how you view uh, that um, you know, opinion. Yeah. So, I mean, I think this is the, this argument doesn't surprise me because it's basically what you're saying is they're doing the same bad things, but one of them is doing it for legitimate security reasons. The other one is doing it to oppress people or to make lives miserable. I don't see how you can make that argument though, especially just look at the data in Russia. We're seeing the high, the highest mortality since the end of world war II. We're seeing pensioners dropping off in the largest numbers since 
the 1990s, we're seeing uh, the Russian government push a drug, an unproven, untested experimental drug that is very likely extremely dangerous with zero transparency, with very, very sketchy ties to all, all the key players that apparently everybody hates, the World Economic Forum, Big Pharma, et cetera. And, the, and so the, the natural, for me, the conclusion here is, okay, there's different blocks, there's a power struggle, but they're implementing the same, the same st structures to control us. It's the same curb stomping. They're, they're just, there's two different boots doing it to do different blocks of people. So that's what I would say. Okay, so, so I, I guess we'll throw to uh, Ian. Oh, Ian, yeah. yeah. So what are, the key, what are the key elements of um, the Great Reset? What, what we think they are? I mean, for me, I, I, you know, Fourth Industrial Revolution, Internet of Things, Internet of Bodies, Central Bank Digital Currency. Um, I mean, what, what are the other, other aspects of it in terms of the digitalization of everything? Uh, 3D printing, machine learning, all that, all that uh, kind of stuff. AI, um, quantum computing, maybe, I think, might be involved. No, I don't even think they have that involved in the package. No, I wouldn't say necessarily, but I mean, it's all part about, in terms sure. of the control mechanism, in terms of being able to control people's behavior. All power can be used use, for control, I would bad or good. Using, uh, yeah, using that. Well, it, I, I don't I would, agree with that, I, but, but, the, but, but potentially, I suppose you could believe that, but personally, I don't. But if so these are the these are the things would would you not agree that those are the things that are kind of the key technological aspects of the great reset those are I would, the I would, oh sorry kit yeah sorry i would just like to add on to that a focus on a rationing of energy through a focus of insurance of renewable energy yeah there we go we haven't really we haven't really touched on yet yeah that's but, a big um, one that will be a big part of the great reset is a we're going green the green reset if you will and because we're going green there's less power for everybody. And yeah, terms, we, it, it would essentially be rationing that power to become almost a currency. Is something I would add on to that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Putting a dollar it's value a on the reduction of your carbon footprint by going to energy sources that don't allow you to do very much to sustain uh, people or industrial economies. Like How else are you going to rebuild okay, society? So, so, what, so, which country, so which country in the world has moved furthest down that path? The, down the green energy depopulation or deindustrialization path? Down the technological control of its population path. Oh. Uh, I would say in terms of, uh, <laughs> like if you're actually asking like which countries have employed yeah, which, technology, yeah, so like what we you talking about? Which country? I could say, yeah, most, China has, has employed quite a bit. Everything Kit just said though, no. Uh, China is not relying their economy on windmill solar panels, though they have no, that. They're, they're it's all for their residential uh, sectors, their industrial base. They're producing more coal, more natural gas, more nuclear power than any country ever in history. Yep. They've, they've disrupted the entire COP26 accords because they yeah, were, like, yeah, they weren't even like, like, uh, well, it's Ian's time, so we got oh, yes, yeah, says, okay, sorry. Who says? That, that sustainable development is about green energy. Do you is that what you think it's about? Green energy. Well, it's the way Klaus Schwab defines it, it's about depopulation. What he what he well yeah but yeah but I mean and another thing as well. Who says Klaus nuclear Schwab power is, is green too? But Klaus Schwab says, doesn't allow that. Who says Klaus Schwab is in charge of anything? I'm using it as a fictitious. Thing. I mean, it's it could be any name of an asshole. Uh, 
you know, upper level manager of the Great Reset. I I mean, I I threw him out there. It could be any PR muppet, and he's just another one, right? Now, the the Green Revolution, the, the, the sustainable development, is not about anything to do with saving the planet from climate change by building windmills not at all it it, what it is about is the creation of new markets that's what it's about no it's about depopulation well destroying industrial it's it's not about creating new markets not at all i i think you can see it as a multi-pronged thing so we'll just disagree with that i you know i mean in my view it's about the creation of new markets I mean, if you're talking about creating about the the marketization of nature itself and creating four quadrillion dollars worth of new markets, I can't really see how that is not about the creation of new markets. But I'll, I'll, I'll take your point. So I think we are getting things very confused here. What we what we are uh, seem to be debating about is that is that to be on board with the reset agenda, you actually have to be pursuing all the PR bullshit that is at the front of the P- of the Great Reset agenda. And that's what it is. It's just PR bullshit. So what is the Great Reset really about? What the Great Reset is really about is controlling the population. And as you have said, obviously, look at taking the eugenics aspect into it, possibly about depopulation as well. That's what it's about. And who is leading in the world on those elements that are going to enable that to happen? China and Russia. Not at all. No way. No. That, 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 Paul, that, 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 that's, that's a bad conclusion. Well, if I can, if, if like, I can just jump in that? here as, 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 as moderator. Hi. Hi. So um, I think basically what what Ian was trying to um, set up, right, was um, he was naming specific technologies that are considered to be a key part of the Great Reset for the purpose of top down control. Correct, Ian. And he was asking you which country is most advanced in those um, technologies. Yeah. What I'm getting at is the means and ends, because the ends are depopulation and global stupidification. Mm-hmm. And you might want to put like the idea that they create new markets, man. I mean, it's like saying, yeah, we'll put more dollar value on human blood. And that way, bloodletting is going to become like a new fad and we'll create new markets of people willing to like give their blood. But you're ultimately um, killing your well, markets. You're killing your hosts because everyone's like bleeding themselves. And that's what they're doing with this type of Mark Carney green new markets. Well, the, the Mark Carney thing, though, it, it is, in fact, aimed at a lot of uh, new markety type stuff, uh, like the natural asset corporations and some of the stuff that they've been throwing in, which um, like Corey Morningstar, if you're familiar, uh, sure. has written a lot. And I've done some writing, too, on the, the financialization of, yeah. of, of nature agenda. So that is a thing that's sort of been folded into the sustainable development yeah, yeah, portfolio, yeah. as it were. No, so, but you, you would yeah, disagree that China and Russia are... In, in nature. Yeah, they want to do that. But at the same time, the objective is to uh, destroy and, and, and kill your, your potential clients, ultimately. Like, they're creating a system whereby they want a, a complete feudal system of no change and obedience, whereby uh, you're, it's bad business. You're killing your market. You're killing your clients. 
by reducing their ability to sustain themselves well, and that's the agenda well, it's not really on, on the eugenics point though if i could just ask to to have a better idea of of how you're looking at the eugenics agenda here do you see this uh, broader eugenics agenda aimed at completely depopulating or keeping keeping certain segments of populations around and others now yeah, I think like you see models, it as a selective the, thing. The carrying capacity of most of the computer models that they're utilizing seem to vector around a consensus of one, maybe two billion or so. Yeah. Um, but overall, so reducing it to a certain level, do you think yeah. that they yeah. would selectively apply that to to countries like to populate? I don't know South America more than Europe or something That's like a, that. Do you see that as happening? I think going back to the Kissinger agenda in the early seventies for a world defined around a uh, first, second, third world, you know, where the U.S. was going to outsource and deindustrialize, China was going to be the sweatshop cheap labor zone that would stay too poor to buy what it produces in Africa and the, and the darker skinned countries were going to just not even have sweatshop jobs. They would just be used for their ex minerals extraction by Western corporations. That type of like crystallized configuration of the world into the the LO, the LOI, you know, as, as HGLs called it, right? The beautiful people who would just consume and be stupid uh, consumers in the, the not things to come, what was it? The, the time machine, that was it. And then the, the Morlocks, you know, that was like a cartoonified version of it, who would remain these like beta gamma uh, people who would just stay slaves, producers. That was like Kissinger's forever model. He didn't want that to ever change. Um, he didn't okay. want the gang of four to be put in prison or for any of that. Like the cultural revolution was what he wanted for the world. That's why I don't want to go on a tangent. I'm sorry. Okay. No, yeah. it's fine. So yeah. technically this is Ian's time. So Ian, I'll give you like another Good minute to wrap it up. And then I guess we'll have closing uh, statements if you want. Uh, brief ones, please, uh, from Tom and Matthew. And then we've, Ian um, and Afriley pops lost, back in. Yeah, we've lost Riley. Well, he's say. in. It's just Wait. audio, I think. Yeah, sorry, guys. Can you hear me though? Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. I think my, sorry, my little pad with my video camera died. So it's just this. Now. Okay. Well, you'll be like the voice of God. Giving exactly. All right. So we'll let Ian wrap up with a, a minute then, since he uh, had a question for Matthew, Matthew answered, throw it back to you. Um, closing statements, I guess, of uh, two minutes approximately, please uh, from Tom and Matthew and then Ian and Riley. And then we'll uh, wrap up with what a uh, kid brought up about the uh, Ukraine great reset angle. If that's okay. Yeah, I'm just very interested about the idea that, you know, if we're the Chinese uh, technological revolution just happened by, you know, some kind of fifth column that was trying to trying to introduce ideas against China's will. Um, I don't see that at all. What I see is a lot of investment going from the West into China to make it happen. And that seems to have followed uh, a plan that was that was uh, discussed at length by people like the Trilateral Commission. So, I've, you know, China's rise has not been just just organic. It's it's happened because of foreign direct investment and technological transfers at both at both the corporate and the political level. So, you know, I mean, I, uh, if and 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 what we are seeing at the moment, we got the key. We got obviously the key element. I think of the control grid is going to be central bank digital currency, and there's no doubt that China are leading on central bank digital currency. Okay, so then we'll throw it to Tom and Matthew for uh, closing statements. Sorry, uh, before we go to closing statements, it's just, oh sure, um, okay. I just wanted to ask a question. Um, it's a, a depopulation question. It's something I've never quite been able to like 
what would be the purpose of a depopulation agenda? I mean, supposing that you attach a dollar value to people and, and you know, we know they do. Yeah. Eight billion people is like, you know, it's like printing money. It devalues the life of each person. As we saw in the Middle Ages with the Black Death, market labor was empowered by a reduction of population. Mm -hmm. So I don't, I mean, I understand that by talking about people as if they're a problem, what they do is they turn people into commodity to be discussed as if it's a glut on the market. But I don't understand how they actually would benefit from reducing that number. Well, it's harder for them to, to control 8 billion people with different cultures and different backgrounds and different histories um, than it is to control 1 billion people all with the same culture without any allegiance to a nation state, without any allegiance to uh, their family or their community or anything else. And that's what they're actually that's that's what their depopulation agenda is. It's also dumb. They are Malthusians. And I'll start my my closing statements to, to try and explain what where, I, where I'm going here. They are Malthusians. They have linear models. Those linear models are wrong. They do not believe in the law of diminishing marginal utility. They don't believe in the basics of human nature. They believe that they can remake human nature, that the new Soviet man, all these theories of all these collectivists through time, doesn't matter. They're all flavors of the same thing, which is we can change humans into being something that they're not, which is not possible. So that's their operating parameter. That's their fundamental base case. Malthusian, we, we take these linear models from today and we project them infinitely into the future, even though everything goes in a cycle because every, all of our behavior is moderated by what we've previously done. A lot of diminishing marginal utility. The next unit of a thing gets you less satisfaction of need because you have less need of it. So the first drop of water to a starving, to a, to a man dying of thirst is important. The second drop less important. And then eventually he drowns, right? If you give him too much water. So that's the, that's the model. They don't understand that. And so they believe, they don't understand how innovation and refuse to accept that innovation comes from the, the rising of price and the rising of, of, of arbitrage and profit opportunity. They don't believe in this. They believe in control as Matt, as Matt talked about and because of this, we're, we're mistaking or the, the guys on the other side of this argument are doing pattern recognition and seeing the, the same things, but then ascribing the same motives. And those motives are not the same. Okay. Cause they, because both G and Putin have talked explicitly. Remember Putin has a degree in economics. There's a PhD in economics. And if you read his doctoral thesis, you will see what, how, what he thinks about how to utilize people and how to go about this and to go about defending Russia against the system that he's fighting against, the, the, the rise of which he's fighting against. Those, those, those fundamental Malthusian errors are what's driving all of this. And every one of these systems that they're attempting to put in place are metastable. They're not going to, even if they, even if Klaus Schwab and company were to win, and by my definition of winning is they win in Ukraine, they subjugate Russia, they turn on China, and they put the whole world under their version of technocracy. As I said at the outset, with the European Union and transferring power ultimately to the IMF as world government with the BIS and the, uh, the, the United Nations world government, the IMF and the BIS as the world central bank. That's their goal, stated explicitly no problem and that win will last 15 years because it's not sustainable it is not sustainable and this is the problem with their arguments about what is sustainable energy it's a sustainable economy when russia and china are talking about sustainable energy go look at their actions not their words i don't give a hoot in hell about what it is they say 
in PR speak, those are nice. Um, I see Power of Siberia 2. I see the Japanese buying, not, not backing out of Sakhalin. I see more LNG going through the arc, through, across the Arctic sea lanes. I see more pipelines. I see a $140 billion book of business by Rosatom to build nuclear power plants across all of Asia. I see all of these things. And I, and I see a $40 billion investment in Iran. I see Gazprom um, uh, invest, getting the lion's share of the investment off of Iran's Caspian Sea assets. I see all of these things. And I see the Saudis getting off the petrodollar. And then you're telling me that this is all part of Klaus Schwab's great reset. And this all just looks the same because at the end of the day, we're all going to have green passes. Do you, does anybody here not think that enough people in the world will just go, you know what? No. I mean, are we all just so freaking terrorized by these people to think that they're so all powerful when they're really just a bunch of, frankly, inbred Euro trash? That's my argument at this point. It boils down to that. Have a little self-respect and stand up and say, no, we're just not going to do this. And at some point, all of their control systems, if they are properly okay. deflated, as I said earlier. Okay. We'll, we'll um, okay. We'll so we're, we're, yeah. yeah I'm sorry. So we're at two I'm, minutes. I'm no, it's fine. It's fine. It, I like the passion. <laughs> No, I mean, the, I'm sorry about this time. I'm done. So oh, that's what okay. I, that was my okay. final point. I'm done. So go ahead. Righto. All right. So I guess we'll throw it to Matthew then. And then Ian and, and Riley will uh, close this out for yeah. closing statements. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, yeah, Kit, that your question is so good. And I mean, it's something that I think is just so natural because it's such an inversion of common sense. Like if you want a better economy, why wouldn't you want more people who are more productive? Because that's a better consumer base, a more, a better, uh, productive base as well to do business to make more money uh it would have been in that sense you know much more logical to develop africa the way kwame nkrumah and patris lumumba and others had envisioned an industrial developed africa in the early 60s you know um or 50s even it, because that that would have been a, a an africa that would have had a better ability to support a higher quality of living standard longer longevity that means you're going to consume more because you're going to be living a lot longer right you're going to be producing more you're, you why didn't they do that instead right it seems like really bad business instead they went for this other thing of just rape africa uh for you know decade and decade and decade which was actually really bad business it created you know uh anyway we don't have to beleaguer that um or belabor that yeah, i i i threw open the conversation in a way it didn't need to be thrown open i was just a thing that just popped oh, into my okay. head yes just, just <laughs> let's just focus on the closing statements for now okay yeah so in the closing statement here look I, i'd say that china has um if, if you look at their one-child policy, because people are often like, well, okay, China's about population control. Look at their one-child policy, which they're, they are still trying to heal off of. That was a mess up. But it was also not a China policy indigenously. That came from the Club of Rome. Song Jiang, I wrote about this extensively in my new book and articles. Song Jiang, a leading scientist, was brought in to the Club of Rome and brought back their computer models um, in 78, 79, which became what was adopted as part of a broader uh, condition upon which China would receive the factories and other things that it needed to get out of poverty, um, it did itself a real, a lot of harm in the cultural revolution. I mean, it was, that was a bad, I mean, even the Chinese will agree that that was, that was a bad decision. <laughs> that was scarring, um, self-inflicted destruction. So to get out of a lot of the underdevelopment needs, there was an, an a agreement reached by Kissinger to provide for giving them technology and, and factories and other things. Um, I don't think Kissinger had a sense of the long-term planning, like the very patient approach of these Confucian type of, and the Chinese leadership were thinking in much longer sweeps of history. Kissinger asked uh, 
Deng Xiaoping, like, what do you think of the, the French Revolution? Or no, no, it was uh, Zhou Enlai. And uh, uh, Zhou Enlai said, you know, it's too soon, it's too soon to tell. <laughs> um, so the Chinese are thinking like in multi, multi-generational terms. And Kissinger thinks in long terms too, being a part of the upper echelon managerial class. But I think even he was uh, sideswiped by the type of, of multi-phased planning which involved, I mean, for a period, China was almost lost. Soros, like I said, had their guy. I mean, Soros's man was in power. They, they nearly had him set up as the Gorbachev Yeltsin of China, which was going to involve the privatization of their central bank and the full-blown Yeltsin package that was being done in Russia in China in 89. It came close, really close. Um, people don't realize what Tiananmen Square was really about. <laughs> Gene Sharp was on the ground in Tiananmen Square. You know, it was a, it was a Maidan type of operation. And, uh, and, it didn't work out. It worked for Russia. Russia got their their complete, you know, uh, poison fed to them under Strobe Talbot, other Rhodes Scholars. Victoria Newland was overseeing that as, as Talbot's assistant. Um, they got Chubai, who set up the Davos, you know, uh, the 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 Gaidar Davos uh, conference. He set up the Davos Pact in '96. He set up the the Gaidar Davos conference in Russia in 2009. And where's Chubai now? Right, the the leading privatizer who worked who who installed. Many of these oligarchs and, and even technocrats, um, like Golikova, her husband, um, all of these people were all installed in the 90s, and, and many of them still have protection and are still there. Some of them run um, an operation within RT itself, like Margarita Simeonin, the editor-in-chief, was caught red-handed, like, you know, essentially participating in an attempted coup d'etat in January 2020, when the whole Russian government resigned. And that same day, she had said that Putin should just claim ownership for shooting down the uh the mh17 uh, jet over ukraine just like you, the iranians claimed ownership you know um and she was like brought into bloomberg and everything else so there there's this whole other thing inside of russia that is apparently not something you could just extinguish it's it's got protections and i think chubai just jumped ship you know he's like i'm getting the hell out of here he's now in turkey in his mansion um you know, a lot of these guys are are feeling a. There's been a, a, a an executive order by Putin. I'm sorry. I know I'm going over it. Okay, I'll just stop it. Um, I think that there is nuance. There is a fight, and I think that if we oversimplify and just look at one limited definition of the new world order as being specifically um, COVID oriented and nothing else, we miss a lot of that richness, and we miss a lot of the the solutions, the weaknesses in the oligarchy's own system itself that they they that we can capitalize off of. If we look at where where do they fail? Where what are they? What is the oligarchy afraid of? Um, which is I think what Russia and China are aware of. And I shared Sergey Glazyev's recent interview, which is a good thing to study in the chat box. Okay, so we'll throw it to uh, Ian and Riley. Whichever one of you wants to go first. Yeah, I think it's been a really interesting um, conversation, and I've certainly learned a lot from it. Um, I think that they. The, the stumbling block that I think that I've noted during this conversation is that we are talking about two fundamentally different things. I see the new world order or whatever you want to call it, the globalist project about one central thing, and that is global governance. And that global governance, I would suggest, is intended to be rolled out in terms of if we look at it from a great reset, which is part of the agenda for global governance. If we look at it from that perspective, the, the, the way that that is intended to be managed is through technocracy. Technocracy is the key to managing global governance in the future. And that's something that the, 
that the think tanks have been discussing for what 50 years 60 years so that's where we're heading so we are definite at the same time we are definitely seeing a a power struggle there's no doubt about that and i think that that is coming to a uh, uh it's it's particular coming to a particularly coming to a point at the moment in a military sense in in the ukraine so you could say and we can and it's perfectly legitimate to say that russia has got legitimate security concerns and all that kind of stuff and that that power struggle is real in terms of that in terms of that confrontation but it is also real at the globalist level as well there is a power struggle but what that doesn't mean and i think this is where we we diverge is that 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 either side is offering a fundamentally different solution they're not they're offering the same solution and if we consider where the the key aspects of what we might call the 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 technocratic control system those technocratic control systems how are being pursued and have been developed to their fullest potential so far or to their fullest extent so far in the East. Now, I have got, I agree with much of what's been said in terms of the, the motivations for that may be very, very different. And I agree that there is a difference between the Slavic and the Western mindset. But that doesn't mean that the project is not going forward. The project is going forward no matter who wins this this confrontation at the moment and if we look at history it's clear to see that the people that are pushing forward a globalist agenda have and always do make hedge their bets and make sure that they back both horses now we are seeing the same we can we can see that in world war one we can see it in world war two and we can see it in world war three which i think began in 2001 this is a war against us all not a war against you know east and west east and west are vying for control of one system and and the model for that system which was created i would suggest the world's first technate that we've seen is china which was created with western compliance and western investment and western technological transfer technology transfers that is the system that is being rolled out globally. And I don't see Russia and China particularly resisting that. On the contrary, what I see them doing is vying for control of that, which is, that doesn't mean that the system, it, that doesn't mean that the, the confrontation isn't real. It just means that they're vying for control of the same thing. Okay, so I'll, I'll stop you there, Ian, because we're at um, time there. So I'll uh, pass it to Riley. Uh, yeah, I really like Ian's point that this isn't a war of, you know, nation against nation or even block against block. But at the end of the day, we're all, you know, under attack. It's uh, I really do believe that for whatever reason, our governments, all of them, have decided that we're the enemy and we need to be put in our place and controlled and managed. And again, I have to go back to where this conversation even started and with Whitney's definition of the Great Reset, which 
everything spring seems to springboard from COVID, at least a lot of it. I think everyone can agree to that to a great extent. And I haven't seen any evidence living in Russia that the Russian government has done anything to stop this. And this is a global, this is a, a literally a global crime. Not only that, Russia has profited. Not only does Russia have its own alleged COVID vaccine, which again, unproven, very, very sketchy links. It profits off of AstraZeneca's shot. It literally is invested in our farm, which produces AstraZeneca domestically and exports it to other countries. So if you see Russia as this sort of, you know, bulwark for, you know, defending against whatever, I just, I just don't, I just don't see how you, how that works when you just look at what Russia has done over the last two years in terms of COVID. Uh, I would want to make one other point here, which is I was thinking I was, the other day I was reading a book of Orwell's essays and he had this great essay from he, written in 1940 and it was about his beef with how the 1940 was being written about, you know, and he basically said the problem is that the, the crazy events of today are being written by partisans. And so his, his argument was, you know, this is not an epoch of expansion and liberty, but an epoch of fear, tyranny, and regimentation. And so he said, uh, if we're going to face reality, if we're going to reach this sort of mystical acceptance of things as they are, you know, to say that I accept in our age is like to say that you accept concentration camps, rubber truncheons, bombs, airplanes, tin food, machine guns, slogans, submarines, spies, political murders. What's scary about that sentence is that all that stuff seems normal to me, you know? And so what's the new normal? What's the new normal? That what's, What does it mean I accept in 2022? And for me, living in Russia, I don't really think it's that different than what your definition in the United States or Canada or the UK is. I accept in 2022 is a very scary thing. It's a very scary thing to say, I accept quarantines, QR codes, forced vaccinations, uh, experimental drugs with no, with no actual value, uh, really crazy ideological, you know, uh, horrible censorship. Uh, I mean, you know, you can go down the list and, Ru and Russia is doing the exact same thing. And at the end of the day, it's the same technocratic system. It's just a different block. And so we're all in it together. That's really how I see it. And so I hope everyone makes it through. <laughs> oh, Whitney, you're on, you're on mute. Whitney, you're muted, yeah. Yes. Yeah, sorry about that. Okay, so what I was <laughs> uh, going to say is that um, in the interest of time, I know that Ian has to be out of here in about 20 minutes. Um, uh, Kit, you had brought up the um, very interesting question of why is the West apparently shooting say, itself in the foot? Well, it may be... In the uh, interest of time, I would say. That's a discussion for another day. Okay, so I just wanted to make I, sure... I don't you... want to kick things off again where we've just... Well, so it is an interesting one, and I'll just say that then, and then we'll, um, <laughs> uh, I guess, close this out then. So I think this was, um, hopefully the panelists agree, but they may not. I think this was actually really productive for understanding where each side is coming from, the main arguments of each side, and where the differences are, um, because um, from what I was observing within, you know, uh, 
alternative media uh, circles, a lot of people were just talking past each other. Emotions were very high. Divisions were worsening. And so I think uh, this panel has done uh, something very constructive in being able to make the differences very clear. And I think some similarities and common grounds emerged uh, in course of the conversation. So I just want to thank you all for participating because very often, uh, you know, in alternative media, you know, I don't really see debates uh, very, you know, uh, I think they should probably happen more often, but uh, more often than not, uh, people are, are interviewing with people who are sympathetic to views and they're, you don't have an opportunity to defend your your position against pushback. So I, you know, it, it's not necessarily the easiest thing to do, but I think it's very important. And I think it's very important uh, that those of us who understood, uh, you know, what was going on with COVID and, and agree on that, which was, you know, difficult <laughs> because a lot of people, you know, went their separate ways uh, and, and really bought into the whole COVID thing. You know, uh, all, all of us participating here um, did not, but this divergence did emerge uh, with the with the events in Ukraine at the end of February. Um, and it's very important that those that are opposed to tyranny, you know, are able to have that sort of ability to converse and understand other uh, differing points of view. Uh, so, you know, divide and conquer, uh, you know, the, the tactic so often used by the establishment, the system, the man um, against us, you know, doesn't uh, keep us from being able to uh, be, be colleagues or, uh, you know, be able to work together when it's uh, when it's necessary. So that's my um, little end spiel. Um, I'll let Kit say anything he'd like uh, he'd like to say, and then I'll let all of uh, you again just remind people where they can find and uh, support your work. That's okay. Uh, Kit doesn't have much to add to that. That was a that was a good conclusion. I think we should just let everybody everybody say where just um, <laughs> shamelessly tout their links and 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 call it a day. Tom, you're needed. Tony, you're muted <laughs> ah, okay. okay, well, probably happily, happily to some people. Um, no, that's fine. Uh, you can find my work over at my blog at tomlawango.me. You can find me on Twitter at TFL1728. Uh, the latest episodes of my podcast where I sit down with my partner, Dexter White, and we actually argue all the time about Putin's intentions. We've done three out of the last five episodes of my podcast have done have been steel manning my arguments for in, in defense of Putin in terms of the... Uh, the war in Ukraine and from a military perspective, it's very interesting to, to go through this on a daily basis. So I'm, you know, it was valuable. Um, but yeah, let's, I, let's, uh, let's, I okay. don't know if we'll do this again, but it was fun. All right. Thank you, Tom. All right. Uh, next we'll go to Matthew. Yep. Okay. Um, well, if people want to, um, check out my stuff, they can go to my Substack. Uh, no one can spell my last name properly, but it's matthewarit.substack.com or canadianpatriot.org. Or uh, with my wife, Cynthia, I, I run a, a more educational cultural website called risingtidefoundation.net. Uh, they can buy my books, um, the Untold History of Canada series, uh, or the Clash of the Two Americas. Volume three is going to be coming out in the next couple of weeks which will do more of a deep dive onto the deep state structures of Russia and China, as well as uh, some U.S. history again. Um, so that that's available on CanadianPatriot.org. I guess beyond that, that's, that's, that's good. Oh, yeah, I started a Telegram channel. I don't know how this works yet, but uh, they can go to t.me backslash Canadian Patriot Press and, and subscribe to the Telegram channel. Okay, great. Okay, Ian? 
Uh, yeah, you can find my work at uh, inthistogether.com. It's got hyphens between the words, annoyingly. So it's in-this-together.com. <laughs> um, yeah, and you can get my books there for free. Um, I've, uh, the, the, I've written a number of books, but the two that have been published in hard copy as well are A Dangerous Ideology and Pseudo Pandemic. Uh, but they're freely available on my website um, in electronic form, so you can get them there. Um, I also uh, am fortunate enough to be uh, have a lot of my work reshared by Off Guardian, um, and also, yay, yay, <laughs> and uh, um, and also on Unlimited Hangout, um, and also people like Lou Rockwell and so forth. They also quite often you can find my work there. Uh, I'm on Twitter. I don't know why. Um, I think I need to get off it fast and I need a telegram channel as well. So I think that's, that's what I'm, but, um, I can't figure it out either. So, um, I need, I've got a bit of a learning curve there, but yeah, just check out my work and, um, and, uh, thanks for listening to this conversation because I agree with Whitney. I think we should do more of this kind of stuff. There needs to be more debate. Mm-hmm. Okay. And Riley. Uh, I'm just at Substack, edwardslawsquat.substack.com, Twitter, Riley Wagaman. And I totally agree with Ian. I thought, uh, I really think that, I mean, just honestly speaking here in Moscow, I mean, it, it can get, it's super isolating because you want to talk to people about these things. It doesn't even matter what they think, but just be able to talk about it with people openly. And I consider all of you guys to at least have an interesting perspective and views. And so it was a pleasure. And uh, thank you so much, Whitney and uh, Kit for uh, hosting us. So, yeah. Well, great. Well, thanks to everyone uh, who took the time to watch this. Uh, and, you know, um, th- by the way, uh, I don't want to forget, uh, this video is going to be posted on Off Guardian's new Rockfin channel. Some of you may be aware that Off Guardian was deplatformed from Patreon which uh, no one should like because they also deplatformed me. No, I don't know, but they did. But they also, de- they've deplatformed a lot of people. James Corbett, uh, Ryan Christian of The Last American Vagabond, numerous people have been deplatformed there. Um, so um, in order to help them uh, replace what their Patreon was for them, please consider subscribing to Up Guardian's uh, channel on Rockfin if you use Rockfin. Yep. All right. And with that, uh, thank you, everyone. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye, everybody. Thanks, guys.